this morning? Good? Everybody good? Everybody good? Have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. Good deal. Hey, we're glad that you're with us this morning. Hey, real quick question. How many of you got a crown? Everybody got a crown? 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 Anybody need a crown? Anybody need a crown? Anybody need a crown? Yes, 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 yes. We got crowns. I feel like we should be singing the hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. But anyway, side note, side note. Hey, we're glad you're with us this morning. Hey, we're going to be taking a look uh, at the story some more. And so uh, you can go with your Bible to 2 Kings. That's where we're going to be this morning. 2 Kings 17 is where we're going to be this morning. So you can dive in. If you uh, have a Bible app, get your Bible app out. Um, But that's where we're going to be this morning. If you haven't been with us lately, as we take a look at uh, where we are in the story and God's story, we're taking a look at the nation of Israel. And uh, Israel and uh, Judah, the northern tribe and the southern tribe, have uh, really divorced each other. They've gone their separate ways. And uh, we see that the northern tribes have been with us, that they have multiple kings, and none of them are good kings. None of them lead well. Uh, and the southern kingdom is going to have some good kings along the way that, that lead people well. And so this morning what I want to do, I felt led to as I read the passage again and began to look at where we were seven years ago, what I spoke on. I just felt God lead me in a little bit different direction this morning. And so this morning what I want to talk to you guys about is leadership. Leadership. How many of you all in the room think you're leaders? Come on, leaders in the room. Leaders. Okay, you all are a bunch of liars. Every one of us in this room is a leader. And here's what some of you are going to kick back on me. Well, at work, I'm not a leader. I'm just a worker. I'm an employee, not an employer. I hate to tell you, but every one of us in the room is a leader. You don't believe me? I have an eight-year-old daughter who is actually sick today, maybe with strep. So pray for my daughter. I know that a lot of you have strep or flu, and so she's not here to be picked on today, but it really caught my attention over the last few years. My daughter is eight years old. My daughter is a leader. If you've ever been around Avery before, she will put you in your place. She will align you where you need to be. That is how Avery is wired up in a lot of ways. But I've been watching her and Peyton McKibben together. And if you've ever seen them come through the church together, you'll realize that both of them like to do their own deal. And yet I've also watched how my daughter really leads Peyton, sometimes into good things and sometimes not into not so good things. She, she has that control over Peyton at times where she really leads her. And I got me thinking, I'm like, how can an eight-year-old be a leader? And it hit me. We're all leaders. Every one of us in this room is a leader. We have some form of influence. And so this morning I just thought, let's talk about leadership because what we're about to see in 2 Kings 17 and 18 today, we're going to see two types of leaders and they're going to be very distinguishable in the type of leaders that they really are. And in this room this morning, every one of us is leading someone or something toward a certain direction. And I don't care what your age is in the room this morning, you are leading someone in a certain direction. Let me give you a few leadership quotes as we dive in this morning. The famous John Maxwell. Anybody John Maxwell people in the room? Yes, some John Maxwell people in the room. His simple definition of leadership is this. Leadership is influence. If you have any influence with someone else, 
You have leadership. Think about that for a moment. Everyone in this room, you have some form of influence on someone. How many of you this morning are parents in the room? Parents? Who do you have influence over? Come on, I'm watching Nathan right now hold little Connor. Big responsibility. He doesn't realize how much influence he has over his kids. And one day he will find out how much influence you have over your kids. How many students are in the room? Middle school, high school? Come on, middle school, high school students. How many of you have friends? Okay, if you don't, I'm going to find you a friend before you walk out of here this morning. Adults, how many friends you got? How many of you have friends? Let's go. If you are not social, I will find you someone to be social with. Grab a friend. Grab a friend next to you. But every one of this room has friends. Guess what you do with your friends? Gossip. And guess what they do with you as you gossip? They gossip right back. Guess what you have? You have influence. Because leadership is influence. The second quote that I want to give you is from an unhurried leader. I know how some of you have heard me say this. This book has been unbelievable for me of late. I just finished it uh, a week and a half ago. And if you know Crystal Grange, she does not finish books very often. I usually have six to eight books going on at one time. And I usually don't finish any of them. I grab what I need to grab. And when I get to a certain point, I go, I got your gist of your writing. I'm done. This book I finished. It floored me. And here's what Alan... Fadling says, an unheard leader. We all have some scope of influence in the lives of others. We do not need a position of influence to be a person of influence. Some of us have this misconception that leadership equals position. And because I'm not an employer, I'm not a leader. Because I'm not yet a parent, I'm not a leader. Because I don't have a ministry position at church, I am not a leader. And yet I would contend that some of you in this room, and you know it, you don't have a position, but you have great influence in people's lives. They tend to follow you. They tend to pick up on the things that you are relaying to them. You have leadership inside of you. So this morning what I want to do is I want to really distinguish between two types of leaders as we take a look at King Jeroboam again. He's going to be brought back up in the text again. And then a guy named King Hezekiah. Hezekiah. And he was the king of Judah at the time. And I want to take a look at these two and distinguish between these two and show you that we have influence. Hopefully we're influencing people in a godly direction. Let's pray as we begin. So Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you mean to us in our lives. I pray that, Father, in the next few moments, you might speak into each one of us. That I know some of us are skeptical, skeptical even as we sit here, that we don't think that we have influence. But, Lord Jesus, help us to see that we have influence in the people's lives around us. That it doesn't take a position to have influence. Just we as humans have influence in others' lives. So help us to lead people well. Help us to lead people toward truth. Help us to lead people in the ways of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's do this. 2 Kings 17. I'm going to give you a little overview and then Lauren is going to read for us uh, this morning. 
2 Kings 17. If you haven't gotten there, let's get there. Hit the tab on your iPhone, whatever device you have. But let me give you an overview of chapter 17, verses 6 through 20. So Israel, the northern tribes, have been very disobedient toward God. If you were with us last week, God sent what to them? Messengers, prophets is what they were called. And God sends prophets toward the nation of Israel. And the goal of the prophet was to speak God's word, to turn the hearts of the people back toward God. And in some cases, you would say the prophets had an epic failure. The people don't pay attention to the prophets. They just keep on their merry way of living life outside of the kingdom of God. And so God has enough. God says, we're done. We're over. And so here we see in 2 Kings 17, if you look at the first few verses, really uh, verses 3 through 6, God does this happening where the nation of Assyria comes in and they raid the northern tribes, the ten tribes, they raid them. And they carry them off into exile. And Israel will no longer be rooted in their capital of Samaria. No longer will they be uh, living in that area, but they will be taken away for a time period. And God says, I've had enough. You are leaving your land. And so he hauls them off. In 2 Kings 17, 7 and following, he gives a diagnosis of what has happened to the nation of Israel. And he says here that their hearts have been turned away from the Lord their God, and they've turned toward all these other idols. They've turned toward what the other nations really covet and what they think is right. And so the nation of Israel, God's people, turn and follow these other nations. And God has enough. God says, I'm done. God takes sin seriously. God is a holy, just God. Yes, he is merciful and he is grace-filled, and yet we also see that God is holy and just. He does not deal with sin lightly. And so the nation of Israel is carried off into exile into Assyria. But what I want to do this morning is I want you to look toward 2 Kings 17, verse 21 through 23. And Lauren's going to read this, and what I want you to see is how they really were led into the sin by their leadership. And so, Lauren, if you'll read verses 21, 22, and 23. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Nebat, their king. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence, as he had warned through all his servants and prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. And to catch it. Leadership. The king Jeroboam. He was not so good of a leader. He led people away from God. Now the writer of 2 Kings is going to do something very interesting. By the time we hit the next chapter, he's going to show you the difference between a bad king and a good king. I want you to get the picture in your head of leadership and what's going on as we take a look at 2 Kings 18, verses 1 through 8. Let's do this. Flip over a page. Let's go. 2 Kings, Lauren, read it for us. 
first eight verses. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Oz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as, part, as far as Gaza and its territory. Awesome. Anybody else want to get up here and try to read those names? Awesome, Lord. Awesome, Lord. And that's awesome. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you the differences between these two kings. And I want you to show you guys what leadership is and what it is not. And so as we go through this, I want you to really grab hold of this. You got your notes. Let's fill this in to begin with. There is only one king. His name is what? His name is Jesus. He's the only true king. And the problem that Israel had from the very beginning is they thought they wanted to be like the other nations and put an earthly king in. And God was not happy with them from the very outset. If you've been with us during the story, we took a look at this early on, that God was saying, you don't need another king. You don't need an earthly king. I am to be your king. I am the one you are to look for, for guidance, for security, for leadership. But the people wouldn't listen, and they said, you know what, Samuel, we want a leader. We would think we need an earthly leader to lead us. So God granted them the request and gave them these kings. The problem is these kings did not lead them toward trusting the true king, King Jesus. And the same way, true leadership, guys, is us leading people to putting their trust and their faith in Jesus. You can mark that down as the big point of the day. We are to lead others to trust the king. And it starts with us trusting the king ourselves. It has to start with us. Everybody knows this? Let's go back to chapter 17. Some of the verbiage in these verses. Verse 21 of 2 Kings 17 it was very interesting. Talking about Jeroboam, and he said, And when he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Nebat, their king. Jeroboam did what? Anybody catch that word? He enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. Depending on the translation you have, the word enticed there, some say he led the ESV says he drove them. The image is this, that Jeroboam had great influence in Israel's life, and he led them or pushed them or enticed them to commit great sin. And my question as I read this passage, like, how did Jeroboam get to that place where he has influence over Israel and he entices them or leads them or drives them to commit great sin? 
And if you look back at 1 Kings 12, we've been here. Jeroboam's inner life affected his outer life. What was going on on the inside of Jeroboam led him to lead Israel into committing great sin. You could say it this way, his inner life was jacked up. He became more worried about what other people think of him. He became more concerned about not losing power. He became more concerned about having control over all things. He became more concerned with people pleasing than he did pleasing God. And it led people down a dark path. And what it did was it reciprocated itself over and over and over again. We see the northern tribes, king after king after king, take in the likes of Jeroboam. Drawing people away from God but into other things. But then you flip the page on 2 Kings 18 and we see a guy named King Hezekiah. And I love this. In verse 3, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was right. Where Jeroboam did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord, Hezekiah does what is right. And by the time we get to verse 5 and 6, in 2 Kings 18, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. In verse 6, it says, he held fast to the Lord. He clung to the Lord and did not stop following the true king. And so we see this difference between Jeroboam and Hezekiah. If you are going to be a person of influence who leads people toward Jesus, the first thing that has to happen is your inner life has to change. We have to begin to trust and rest in Christ and what he's done. Because what happens to the people around us starts where? It starts inside of us. I was reading an unhurried leader, and he talks about this. Alan Fadley talks about this. He says that we have leaders who just want to do, 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 do. And we celebrate these people, right, when they do. But in due time, we really find out what's going on the inside of them. That they're leading people astray, ultimately. Because they're doers, and so we celebrate them, but on the inside, they are crumbling. And this is Jeroboam. He started off well, if you read in 1 Kings, he starts off well, but he ends in the wrong place because he does not take care of the inner life. So let me ask you, how are you taking care of your inner life right now? Let's ask some, some questions and let's be honest in the room because we're in church. We can be honest. What does your time with Jesus look like each day? Do you take for granted the time with Jesus that you have? Here's what I'm learning about us and our society. Too many of us are too busy. Too many of us are running around like chickens with our heads cut off, including myself. And we're not taking care of the inner life. And can I tell you this about your busyness? You are headed toward a dark path with your busyness. I'm telling you, as a pastor, I get to see it all the time. 
my wife and I have these discussions. We see people in here for a few weeks, and then we don't see them for a while. And then I get, the, I get a phone call, or I get an email, or I get a Facebook message. I am so far from God right now. And my heart breaks for them because I know what's happened. They have not taken care of the inner life. They have not taken the time with Jesus. How you doing on the inner life? For me right now, I'm a people pleaser. This is one of the things that God is working on me on, is that I would actually please God more than I please others. Because here's what happens when I start pleasing you all more than God. My heart starts to stray from Jesus. And all of a sudden, what happens is you become my God real quickly. Some of you are people pleasers, and here's what your heart is doing. It's being led away from Christ because you are pleasing man more than you're pleasing Christ. For some of you, it's Jeroboam. you got power and control, and that is leading your heart astray. And you are not doing the business behind closed doors to begin to give God those things. You just keep chugging along, chugging along, chugging along, chugging along, and before you know it, your heart has been led astray. Guys, the inner life matters. Let me ask you this. Do you find joy in obeying God, or is he bothersome to you? Ah, come on, let's be honest in the room. When God asks you to do something, is he a bother to you? Or do you find joy in actually obeying God? Hezekiah found joy in obeying the commands of God. Jeroboam thought they were lame. Thought they didn't produce life, they produced death, and so he led himself away. Do you find joy in following Jesus? Huge question. Henry Blackaby says it this way in Experiencing God. When you offer yourself to God as a servant, he first expects to shape you into the instrument of his choosing. He will always work where? In you before he works through you. How many of you want to be used by God? Come on. How many of you want to be used by God? I want to be used by God as well. But God has been pounding this theme for the last year and a half through my pastor coach and, and through people like Henry Blackaby and through Alan Fadling's book. And the, the repetitive theme is this. Chris, take care of your inner life because your inner life will affect everything around you. Chris, I don't, I don't want to work through you. In fact, I can't work through you until I first work inside of you. If I don't take care of the heart, if I don't take care of the depths of me, God can't truly work. It actually, all my works become tainted. They become stained. Why? Because the king is not on the throne of this heart. Chris is still on the throne. Alan Fadling says this, a basic kingdom reality. And I, I cannot lead for the good or the honor of God's kingdom if I am not seeking his kingdom first and foremost in my life and in my work. Otherwise, I end up promoting my own little kingdom agendas, all the while assuming I am doing so in the name of Jesus. Anybody ever been there before? Because you're not taking care of your inner life. What happens is you can't lead people to first seek the kingdom of God. You actually tell them that your little kingdom is greater than God's kingdom. So if we're going to lead, it starts with us trusting God. It starts with us trusting Jesus. The second thing I want you to get this morning is this. We are to lead people to see who the king really is. You and I are here to represent and to show who King Jesus really is. So our basketball team, 7th and 8th grade boys, we won yesterday, by the way. Whoop, whoop. 
Uh, my boys, uh, seventh grade boys, I'm the assistant, but our boys, I've been with them for, I think, six years now coaching them, and uh, we got the monkey off our back. We've never won a tournament game. I think it's the coaching. Until yesterday, our new coach got him to win a game, so we're excited about that. We play tomorrow night, but one of the things that happened uh, about a week ago in practice was our eighth grade coach uh, was talking to me about some things happening at the school. We had some boys who decided to rebel against some of the rules at Williamsburg. They decided to put their hoodies up walking through the hallways. And at Berg, the rule is if you are wearing a hoodie, you're not allowed to put the hood up. Anybody at Western Brown like that? Yes, Western Brown, yes. And so the principal came to our eighth grade coach and told him, you have some boys who are wearing their hoodies up through the hallways. That did not go over well with our eighth grade coach. And so he sat all the boys down before practice. And he got up there with his rah-rah speech. And he says, gentlemen, it is a privilege to put on the uniform of Williamsburg Wildcats. And he said this, and the name across the front of your jersey is not your name, it is the name of our school. And he said, I'm catching wind that some of you do not respect the name Williamsburg because you are defying authority with what they say. He says, gentlemen, we will represent this name well. Because this name right here, you represent your school and you represent your coaches. And today you gave us all a bad look. And so guys, we will represent the school well. And it hit me. This is the gospel and this is King Jesus. That you... We're put here to represent the king. You are here to represent him well. And you play for a different team now. You play for King Jesus' team. And he says, you are my ambassadors. You are my representatives here on this planet to show people who I'm really like. And we see here that King Jeroboam is going to lead the people in the wrong direction of representing their God to the other nations. He's going to lead them to believe that their God, the king, or Israel's God, is no different from all the other gods of the other nations. He's showing them that their God, Yahweh, loves sin, loves failure. Got me thinking. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus in here, do you know today you represent King Jesus? What Jesus are you showing people? What would your coworkers say Jesus is like in your workplace? At the ball diamond, what would your, what would all the other parents and fans say King Jesus is like? When we're out feeding those who are destitute, those who are poor, what would they say King Jesus is like? Because you and I, whether you like it or not, you represent King Jesus, Jesus if you claim to be a follower of him. And the other nations are watching, the people around you are watching. You don't believe me? Ask them what they think your faith really is like. Guys, the church is supposed to show the glory and the goodness and the salvation of Jesus. That is what we are here for. 
The church is to be the ambassadors and the representatives of Jesus. So I ask you, are you like Jeroboam or are you like Hezekiah? Hezekiah, on the other hand, he shows what God is like. He says that our God is holy, our God hates sin, our God loves selflessness. The people who humble themselves and put others ahead of themselves, that is what Jesus loves. So as we go through this, what Jesus are you showing them? Let me give you three ways out of this text that we show who King Jesus really is in our lives. The first is this, we show them what he has done in our lives. We show them what he has done in our lives. Go to 2 Kings 17 again. Go to verse 7 and 8. Flip back. Let me read this. All this took place because Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. Look at this statement, though. Who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Anybody notice that? I love the writer of 2 Kings 17 because here's what he does. You sinned, but you've forgotten where you came from. You've forgotten your story. You've forgotten what God has done. The nation of Israel was in Egypt. They were held captive for over 400 years, and God does a work. God says, salvation comes from me. I'm going to save my people Israel, and I'm going to bring them up out of Egypt, and I'm going to make them a people and a promised land. As you look through the story, God opens up a Red Sea so that they could go through the sea. And the Egyptians are falling behind and God does what? He swallows up the Egyptians. And the idea is salvation has come over sin and captivity. And it has been God who has done it. Guys, I don't care who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story. And it is not just your story, it is God's story. I think sometimes we as Christians forget that we have been saved. And it wasn't you, it was God who did it. And you have a story to tell other people. There's a story that is turning up inside of your life, and we are to tell the people our story. Ephesians 4, let me throw this verse, this came to my mind this week. Ephesians 4, I love this. Right before verse 20, Paul talks to the church in Ephesus about these pagan people who they have futility in their thinking. They are far from God. They are, have this dark thinking in their brains. And then he says this, that however is not the way that li- of life you learned. Hey, you followers of Jesus, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. But you are to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. Guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, the old self is gone. The new self has come. The old way of life and doing things is now gone, but the new way of doing things is now what? It is here. You have a story. Share it. I was thinking about people that I think are doing a good job of sharing around here. I was thinking about Cindy Jameson. And just a little bit, I've gotten to talk to her 
of her sharing with her coworkers of what God has done. And honestly, Cindy's one of the most humble people I've ever met. She just puts her hand to the plow and just keeps moving forward, and her circumstances are not ideal. We'll just put it that way. I got thinking about Josh Fight lately, just having lunch with him the other day, and what God has done in his life. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Josh has invited more people to church than I could shake a stick at. He just keeps inviting people over and over. Why? Because God has done something inside of Josh, and Josh knows it. It's not him. Think about Jason Conley. Just thinking about all the guys that he's been inviting as well and the guys that he has influence with. Thinking about Rachel as well and all the girls that I know Rachel's been reaching out to. I got thinking about the Spencers. Golly, I love the Spencers on Facebook so often. And just Ashley keeps just talking about what Jesus has done in her life. And I know she posted last year at this time we were baptizing them. And it got me thinking about what God has done. I got thinking about Susan Bell and just the changes that have, God has made in her life. There's so many of you guys that I can just keep thinking about what God has done. Do you realize what God has done? And guys, we have a story to share. We share with the people around us. This does not have to be some crazy, freaky spiritual experience. Just tell them what God has done. There are people who are hungry to hear what God is doing. You have a story. Share it of what God has done in your life. So here's what we're going to do. With your crown, get it out, get your crown out. Let's do this. We're going to do some activities on the crown today. There should be a pin in the seat in front of you. Hopefully there's a pin. If not, we'll have to just chuck pins around here. Make sure everybody gets a pin. I tested this morning. The pin does right on those crowns. Here's what I want you to do real quickly. Take a moment. Whether it's one word, one sentence, two sentences, maybe you're a writer and you want to write a whole paragraph, that's cool. Can you write down what God has done in your life? Maybe it's what God is doing in your life right now. But just take a brief moment here. I want you to think about this. What has God done in your life? What is he doing in your life? What is he changing inside of you right now? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's changing some things inside of you. Maybe it's your day that you received Christ as Savior and Lord. Maybe it was your day of your baptism. Maybe it was something that happened in your life that God did. But what has God been doing inside of you? What was the moment of conversion? I don't know what it is, but would you write down what God has done or is doing. Because our God is up to something. The king is up to something. The king is moving. And the king wants to do something in each one of us. Some of you don't even know it yet, but the king is going to move in your life. And your life is going to be flipped upside down. The second thing I want you to do is this. We're going to walk through. The second thing we learn from this passage is the king is better. The king is better. I know some of you are still writing. Flip back to your notes when you get a chance. But something interesting happened in these two kings' lives, in these leaders' lives. Jeroboam built altars for other gods. In fact, we read earlier that he put the 
new places of worship in the town of Dan and also the town of Bethel. And he put two golden calves in each spot. He put a golden calf in each spot so the people of Israel could come worship at those spots. And he's resurrecting, he's building what? He's building these idols for the people to worship. And yet we see here in chapter 18, I love this about Hezekiah. In verse 4, he removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. And he cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Jeroboam thought that these other gods were better than Yahweh, the true God. And yet we see the king Hezekiah, he comes in and he destroys all the places that are pagan foreign worship places. And he says, no more idols around here. I'm done with idols around here. Guys, we all have idols in our lives. Some of you have the idol of money. Some of you have the idol of sex. Some of you have the idol of approval. Some of you have the idol of, or of, of power and control. Some of you have the idol of comfort. You won't get off your duff and do anything. You just want life to be easy all the time. You worship the God of comfort. For some of you, it's the idol of your boyfriend and girlfriend. They rule your life. Some of you, it's the idols of your kids. They rule and run your life. We all have idols in our lives. You know how you can detect them? Look where all your time, energy, and resources go. What do you devote the most time to? What do you devote the resources to? The money, the attention, the energy, where does it go? You'll find your idol when you begin to look at those. What things make you mad when they get taken away from you? What honks you off? What really gets you burning on the inside? When you begin to discover those things, you'll discover your idols. And guys, we distort God when we don't smash the idols of our lives. We tell others that Jesus is not really worthy to be followed. Like Jesus is like one of many gods what we tell people. Instead, he is the true God. We tell them other things are more worthy to be worshipped than Jesus himself. So here's what I want you to do with your crown. I want you to write down the things that are idols in your lives. Let's go. Let's do this together. Let's write. What is one thing that you realize, man, this is an idol. This takes my time, my energy, my resources. When it gets taken away from me, I get angry. I get upset. I don't let things off easy. That, that, that it's a sign that an idol is probably there. What is your idol right now? What is the thing that drives you? What is the thing that consumes you? Let's be leaders who begin to destroy idols. First, we've got to recognize them. First, we have to identify them. What are those idols? And how are we making those idols seem better than Jesus right now? The third and final thing I want you to get from this passage is this. If we're going to lead people toward trusting God, here's what we need to do. We need to get on board with what the king cares about, what King Jesus cares about. And here we see with Jeroboam, he is like many of our government leaders. Have you been watching politics lately? Here's what I've learned about politics over the last week. My ref and buddy and I were having a conversation yesterday about it. 
And I, he goes, I hate politics. I'm, I'm like, with, I'm with you, dude. I hate politics as well. I'm not political. I've never done a political agenda up here. I never will. I promised Jesus I would never do a political agenda up, up here. I don't care. Just how I'm wired. I, I just think it's a bunch of babies acting like two-year-olds half the time. And so here's what it was. Here's what we talked about. We say it's amazing how these government officials, and I'm not doing Democrat, Republican, Independent. I don't care. They're all acting like this. They all have their own agendas. They're all about their own power. They're all about their own wealth. They're all about their own public image. And they all want to control each other. Watch Twitter. Who can control whom? And honestly, half the time, I don't think they care about you and me as our representatives. It's sad but true. And I get frustrated and angry at our government officials, and then God says this to me. And you're just like, like them yourself. Chris, you care about your own agenda way too much. You like when you have power. You like when you can control things. You like approval ratings. And you care about yourself more than you do others so many times, Chris. And Jeroboam is like this as well. But what does God care about? That's the question I have for myself and for us. What does God care about? Funny you ask. Jesus said this one thing in Scripture, Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You know what God cares about in your life? That you love him above everything else. That he has your mind, your soul, your heart, your feet, everything. He has it. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Ready for it? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You want to know what God cares about? God cares about you loving him, and God cares about you loving others. It's not real difficult, is it? And in this moment, Jesus just simplifies things. This is what I care about. And yet we see here that Jeroboam does not care about any of this. He resurrects these things. He puts up, erects these things in his own life that are idols, and he worships them. And then he doesn't care about people either. But Hezekiah, verse 3, let me read it again. Chapter 18, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. And that phrase caught me this week. Just as David had done. So what did King David do? King David was a man after what? God's own heart. Why? Because David slept with Bathsheba. What? He slept with another man's wife and he got called a man after God's own heart? That doesn't make sense. I thought perfect people got called a man after God's own heart. No, not in God's economy. You know what David do, did do, though, when he committed the sin? He repented and he turned from it. It's real interesting, this passage in chapter 17, Jeroboam did the opposite. It says he led the people to hide their sins in secret. What? You know what God cares about? God cares about you turning from the ways that you're going and turning back to him. That's what God cares about. Because you're going to jack things up today. Did anybody notice this? Anybody yell at the dog, kick the dog, yell at your kids this morning? Walk out of the house and you're screaming at people? We had this last week at dinner, at lunch plans. We went to the Mexican restaurant 
And we walked in. My two kids were doing what to each other? What do you think they were doing to each other? Bam, 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 bam. They're just yelling at each other. And I pulled my old dad, my dad's old little saying out. Why did we even go to church today? And the reminder is this. Even after church, we jack things up. And God is saying this. I know you're going to jack things up, but will you turn and will you come back to me? Will you turn and will you come back to me? Brennan Manning, I've been reading his book. Began to read his book, Abba's Child, and here's what he says. God's sorrow lies in our refusal to approach him when we have sinned and we have failed. You know what saddens God's heart? Some of you are still hiding your sin. Some of you refuse to come before God and just get exposed before the Lord. And God weeps over it. Why? Because God is a good and gracious father. And he longs for his kids to come home. He longs for his kids to just reveal what's really going on on the inside. He already sees what's going on in your life. But God is sad that some of you continue to hide your sin. But David got exposed and David owned up to it. Where Jeroboam did not. See, let's be leaders who humble ourselves And when we mess up with our kids, let's be parents who go, hey, bub, hey, babe, I'm so sorry I messed up. It is my fault. Could you imagine our kids' faces when an adult goes, it's my bad? What? You actually admitted that you screamed at me when you shouldn't have? That's something I've been trying to work on. Because Chris has a little bit of a temper, I've realized. And Chris can go off on my kids. Chris is learning that it's not always right to go off on my kids. And so I've been trying to come up to him and go, hey, bub, I'm so sorry for screaming at you. That was not the right way to go. I'm not leading you well. So let's do this with our crowns. Let's finish with this. I want you to write down one sin or fear that you're hiding from Jesus right now. What is it that you're hiding from Jesus? Maybe it's a fear. Maybe you're afraid of something. What are you hiding from him right now? Not only are they supposed to love God, but they were love people. 2 Kings 17, 17 says it this way. It says, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens. And they sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Guys, leaders... Love people well. They love God well, and they love people well. Notice these people were sacrificing their kids to get the other gods on their side. They were making women an object rather than people. They had forced labor where they had slaves, and they treated them horrendously. You see, because King Jeroboam took God out of the equation, guess what happened? They didn't love others well. Guys, if we're going to love people well, we have to put God at the center. We have to put God at the forefront. Then we'll love other people well. Ephesians 4, I told you guys, as we looked at earlier, that you've been changed. There's something that is different going on inside of you. But then I love Paul. He started with the gospel, but then he gives some instructions in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. If If in your anger do not sin... Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. 
You must work, though, and do something useful with your own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that for which is helping build others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's a big one. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. But be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ, God, forgave you. Do you see the picture of what humanity is supposed to be? Do you see it? Being a follower of Jesus, it's a new kind of humanity. That the world tells us, be angry at people, slander people, go after people, get on Twitter, get on Facebook, and just destroy people. And God is saying, that is not what my people do. My people are compassionate. Why? Because Jesus was compassionate to you, and you realize it. That you are far from God, and God in his grace came and was compassionate on you. You forgive others. Why? Because Christ has forgiven every past, present, and future sin of yourself. You're kind to each other. Why? Because Christ is kind to you on a daily basis. We quit telling lies to each other. We speak truthfully to each other. When we're angry, we don't let our anger go down with the sun. But we go to each other and we say, I'm angry at you. I need to deal with this. Why? Because the people of God are to be different. We're to represent the king well. We're to lead well to the people around us. So the last thing on your crown, let's do this together. Write down one person that you are using to find approval with. Maybe you're angry with. Who are you not loving well right now? Who is it? What is it? What is going on that you are not loving them well? What is the one thing? Who is the one person? So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come up here, and we're going to sing. But we're also going to do something else this morning. I want you to begin as the band comes up. I want you to finish writing out those things. Maybe you have something else on your mind right now. I want you to write down on your crown. And I want you to take this time, and I want you to begin to pray and to begin to ask Jesus to do a work inside of you because your inner life matters. What is going on in the inside matters. And so we're just going to stay in our seats, and we're going to sing this first song together. And I want you to contemplate. I want you to pray. I want you to write. I want you to take your time with Jesus and just spend time with Jesus. Some of you have been rushing through the whole week. And quite honestly, it's probably about the only time you've had with Jesus. Let's take advantage of our time with Jesus. He's here. He's with us. He wants to do something inside of us this morning. So let's take our time and let's sing this to Jesus, and then we're going to continue on. I'll tell you what we're going to do with our crowns. Let's pray and let's sing. So, Father, we come.